Amen. Amen. Man, what a great reminder. I am who he says I am. There's a lot of things that's been said about me, the most important of which is found in his word. Uh, the most true of which is not even who I am, as so much as it is who he is that has made me who I am. Uh, man, if you're here today, man, thank you for joining us uh, in the 1030 service uh, here on this long weekend, whether that's in person or online. We are thankful to have you any way we can get you, um, but would love to have you a part of the fellowship uh, here as well. And so, um, man, it's been a long weekend. And on that note, um, I would like uh, to take the opportunity now, if you are uh, with the Veterans Day weekend, if you are current, uh, active, or retired uh, military in, uh, in the room today, would you just stand? Man, we want to appreciate you. Uh, would you just stand at this time? Awesome. Awesome. Y'all tell them how much you appreciate them. Awesome. So very thankful uh, for, for so many uh, that are willing, as we will talk about today, greater love is no man than this, the one that laid down his life for his friend. And uh, Christ has called us friends, right? And so uh, I think of a, uh, that's a great illustration, right, of, of being willing, of people being willing to put themselves in harm's way in order for us to experience the freedom that we are today, to gather together, to open God's word, to disciple each other, to hold one another accountable, to grow together in community. We are so very thankful. Would you pray with me as we dedicate this time to the Lord and we just thank God uh, for those uh, that have, have served in this way? Father, we are so very thankful. In this season, God, we are reminded, uh, God, of all the things that we so often take for granted. And so, Father, I thank you uh, for those in this room and others who are willing to sacrifice their lives to put themselves in harm's way, God, in order uh, for us to experience the freedom that we have in this country. Uh, God, I pray that we would take advantage of that as your church, you have placed us in a context where we are free to share. Uh, Lord, though there may be some persecution, some rejection, God, you have placed us in a context where we can share your gospel. We can uh, grow together in faith. And God, I pray that we would do that. Lord, it is just not the case as I've experienced in other contexts. It's just not the case in other places. God, I thank you for those that you've called to do just that. Now, God, as we get into your word today, I pray that you would use it powerfully to change our lives, that we can adjust and we can join you where you're working. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So before I was pastor at Lindsay Lane North, uh, I was a student pastor. Uh, I, I will say a lot has changed uh, in student ministry, even since I have uh, been a part of it. I was getting out of the trends already, and I, I found myself doing that just, it just happened, right? I'm just not as cool and up with the lingo. Like, I don't dress the same as them. There's way too much thigh showing in males uh, during the summer. Like, I'm out on that. I'm still knee-high, knee-shorts. Uh, you know, I've been informed by others younger than me that I'm not cool because of that. That's okay. It is what it is. Uh, when I was a student pastor, I, one of the things that I like to do, this probably dates me as well, because I don't even know if you can do this now in the current environment with COVID and whatnot, which, by the way, the flu is like 
totally kicking COVID's butt. I didn't know there was, I didn't know the flu existed anymore. Uh, it is back with a vengeance. Uh, but we, uh, I can remember going into uh, East Limestone in Athens where most of our students came from. I did come and eat with students from Elmont, a few. We didn't have many. Uh, and so most of my time was spent in Athens and, and East Limestone. And I can remember going to East Limestone specifically, uh, going to eat with some middle school kids. Now, I have been informed since then. I had some teenagers say, yeah, don't come eat with us. That's not cool. Uh, so, but it was cool to a middle school kid. I don't know if it's still cool to middle schoolers, but it was cool to these kids. Or maybe they just humored me. I don't know. They were nice, all right? So I remember going and all the tables, everybody sat. Like, I used to have to sit with my class. Like, in East Limestone, they didn't have to do that. They sat with their buddies, their, their friends, and uh, they were hanging out and talking. So they had the athletes, you had the math elites, right? The, the smart people. And I can remember, like, I, one of the things that I do, I, like, I try to fit in with everybody and so to kind of bridge the different uh, stereotypes. And I would go and we would talk, so I'd talk sports with the, with the athletes and I'd talk about something that was probably far smarter than I had any business talking about with the smart folks. And there there was one table specifically though. I, I had a spot at every table except one. And at one table, there were so many kids at this table that I literally had to stand and talk to the students for a very short period of time because I was standing and that was awkward and I'm lurking over a teenage kid table and I didn't like it. So I left, but I can remember talking to a certain group, <laughs> no seats. I'm sorry. Pastor, we don't have a spot for you to sit down one day that you're here to eat with lunch with us. Uh, can, you, can you guess what this table had named themselves? They named themselves the Outsiders. The one table that I couldn't sit at because there were so many stinking people was the Outsider table. At, and then I asked them, I, I posed this question to them, at what point does the outsiders become the insiders when there's so many of you, there's more of you than there are of them, of the insiders, right? Like, no, no, you don't understand. They tried to explain it to me. Listen, I just, I realized at that moment, these were people that pride themselves on independence and not fitting in. Like we don't fit in anywhere. And they have drawn to, been drawn to one another and they are now the most popular group at the school, the outsiders. And it's solidified in my mind, God has created every one of us for community. And you can say that he hasn't, but to say that is a lie. Uh, it is a lie. There is an innate desire. Now, it may not be as many people as maybe I'm drawn to, but God has drawn you to live in community with others. God has called us to fellowship. And that's the idea of these, this circle series is God using the people that we have been drawn into community with in order to reach them for the gospel, but in order to disciple them and to learn how to live life together as followers of Jesus. I'll make this statement and I'll come back to it. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about our friend groups, our friend groups. Every believer in this room needs fellowship. Every person in this room needs fellowship, but every believer in this room today needs fellowship. And it's important that we understand what we mean. When I say the word fellowship, y'all think deviled eggs and, and fried chicken, right? I know how you think. And that ain't wrong, by the way. Actually, that is really right. Uh, it's not wrong. 
right? You don't get my size from not doing that at fellowships. Um, but but let me, let, let's look at how the Holman Christian, stand, uh, Holman Christian uh, New Testament commentary, how it defines uh, fellowship, because I believe it's important. Uh, listen to what it says. Fellowship is the believer's spiritual union with Christ and the consequent union that believers share with one another in Christ. All right? So the first part of fellowship is, right, fellowship with God. We, we have fellowship with God at an individual level, and it's our fellowship with God, our spiritual union with Christ, that leads to a consequent, a, a necessary union with other believers that are drawn to a relationship with Christ. We are drawn together. My relationship with Christ draws you in to, in your relationship with Christ and we meet together in fellowship. It's deeper than any potluck, right? It is living life together, being better collectively for the kingdom of God than we are individually. And so when we're talking about these circles, the first circle that we learned about, we've got, first of all, we've got ourselves, right? Here, a little diagram that we're going to revisit each week. We've got, we've got ourselves, right? We're not islands to ourselves. God has called us to circles of relationship. The first circle we talked about last week is the circle of family, right? And that's a big family. Um, that's a very large family. Uh, those are really good parents. Um, or they're not. Um, but God has called us to family. We talked about the intentionality. Oftentimes our families get the leftovers of our life. But if God's word is true, and it is, the most intentional place we can ever go on mission is home. It's the most intentional place we can go. God has called us to a deep community and fellowship with a bunch of people and we may or may not have chosen, but God has called us to live in fellowship with. And by the way, it wasn't on accident. Why? Because God's sovereign. And you may be thinking, yeah, but I don't fit in mine. I promise you it's not a problem with everybody else. There's a problem with you. There's a problem there. You need to check your spirit because God has called us all to function in the role of family. Uh, on, a, on a cute note, so this is something I'm pretty excited about. Um, you'll hear about it uh, this Sunday as well in announcements. You may have heard about it in home groups. We are doing a tinsel trail tree and my wife's wonderful idea, part of my family, by the way, not yours. Uh, her wonderful idea was to do a family tree. And so we're gonna do ornaments. We want everybody, every family in our church to submit an ornament that has your name on it at least. And if you wanna go on Shutterfly and do the cool thing where you, you know, have a picture of you, uh, we're gonna put that up, decorate it with ornaments given from our family. So we need that by, I think I said the last weekend in November. So that's coming up. We want you to do that because uh, I just think it'd be really, really cool. Uh, that'd be a neat theme for our tree. And then we don't have to buy decorations ever again, we can just use our family tree, all right? Um, but the, the other thing that we're doing is this, to be very intentional with our families this season. You can buy this, purchase this book today. They're $15. We're just recouping our money that we have in them. Um, this is a family Advent devotional. We're going to be going through the Advent season in the month of December, kind of a shortened version of that. Uh, we want you to go with your families through the Advent as well. These are five-minute 
conversations, five-minute devotions with your kids uh, that I think would be so, so neat. We've, we've never, as a family, never done an Advent season like that. And so just a way to be intentional. We're intentional about a lot of stuff, as we talked about last week. Let's be intentional about something that matters, right? Just a small step toward the discipleship of your family. Uh, we're going to go through this together. And then on Christmas, which is Sunday, right? We're going to celebrate it and have our, our finale of this. So giving us an opportunity to invest in those closest to us, right? But beyond just our family groups that we have, uh, God has called us to this, the next circle, which is the circle of our friends. And when I say friends, we need to quantify what we're talking about. I'm not just talking about people that you like, I'm talking about people that you depend on. I'm talking about people that you trust, that you, you could argue, I trust this person with my life, right? Those people that are on the wall in your family that are protect, that you are part of your protective system of your family, those people that are in your innermost family, right? Our innermost uh, friends, that's who we're talking about today. Um, and so in God, this is going to bug me. They used this, by the way, at Church on the Road, which was awesome, by the way. But it is now, man, it's killing me. All right. Uh, every time I do that now, y'all are going to know that it bugs me. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Gosh, I digress. Every believer needs fellowship. What kind of fellowship do they need? Church of Corinth had some pretty major issues. Church of Corinth, founded by, planted by Paul, looked a whole lot like the culture that they lived in. They were a very world, it was a very worldly culture. Corinth, beside Athens, Greece, not Alabama, uh, was known for their worship of the goddess Venus. To worship the goddess Venus, there was 10,000 uh, priestesses that were there that you would worship them by substance abuse, and then carnality, right? And that was their idea of worshiping the goddess Venus was the goddess of fertility, right, and beauty. And so that was how they worshiped. And in many ways, the church looked similar. The church had issues. Corinth is known as a very worldly church, they looked like the world around them and Paul would call them in, first, in 2 Corinthians to live differently than the world around them. So every believer needs fellowship, but they need a set apart fellowship. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. <laughs> Follow along with me. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness what accord has Christ with Belial this is the this literally translated is the chief of evil spirits it's a name for Satan what accord does Christ have with Satan or in what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever 
What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is Old Testament that he's quoting here. That's why it looks like the way it does in your Bibles. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. What Paul is doing is calling the Corinthian church out of a conformity to the world around them and he is calling them to look and be different. The word church, many of you may know, is the word ecclesia, which in the Greek literally means the called out ones. They are the ones who are in the world but have been called out of the world for a purpose and a reason. And so what he says there is don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now you have probably heard it taught that this is talking about marriage. Don't be married to someone who is an unbeliever. And while that may be an extension, a far-reaching extension of the context, it's not what he's talking about. Some of you may, that have in the business world may have heard it relating to the area of business that do not have business connection because of the word partnership there is a business term, do not have partnership with somebody who is not a believer. All of those things may be true statements and good things to, to follow, but we can find that elsewhere in scripture. What this scripture is talking about is not limited to marriage or business. This scripture is talking about any association that we could have as believers that would lead us to the point that we would compromise the righteous standard that God has called us to live by. It's important that we understand the word friend because I believe there is a higher calling and a higher um, prerequisite for someone being your friend than maybe we have initially thought. Friend is anyone that I like to be around. No, not according to 1 Corinthians. The, the, the words, the verbiage unequally yoked comes from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10, uh, where it talks about that it was unlawful literally is against the law for the Jews to attach an ox with a donkey as they were tilling their land. Now, that has very physical reasons. Like, number one, anybody that would do that is not smart, right? Like, the animals pull different weights and they pull at different speeds. It's going to be hard to, to till a straight line if you've got an ox and you've got a donkey together. It reminds me, and, and Jeremiah reminded me after service, so the first service didn't get this, y'all are welcome, uh, reminds me of hitting a five-man sled in football, right? Like, 
when you knew who was the strongest side because if you, when you hit that five-man sled, if you didn't hit it exactly the same time and you didn't have similar strength, that, that bad boy would just turn a circle, right? And they're saying, you can't stop until you've driven it 10 yards, but you've driven it 110 yards because you're going around in a circle, right? And, and this was the, the idea. So you don't want animals yoked together that are different species, he says, in the same way, don't yoke yourself with unbelievers. This comes, Deuteronomy 22 comes in the same context of, of, remember, this was right before they were to enter the promised land. And there was this idea, right, of, of what do we do with the Canaanites? And, and Moses is telling them, don't associate with them. Don't yoke yourself together with them because they're going to pull you down rather than you pulling that person up, right? And so they didn't listen. They became associated with the Canaanites and they ultimately compromised God's standard. They were not set apart from other people and so God ultimately brought destruction and had to start back generally from scratch, right? But in the same passage of scripture, he talks about mixing types of fabric. Don't weave types of fabric together from different materials. Well, that's a wise thing to do. Again, a very physical reason because they shrink and they change and they wear differently. So they're going to pull apart. So it's dumb. Don't do that. That's crazy, right? In the same way, don't sow a field with different types of seed. As a farmer, you wouldn't do that because different crops require different types and levels of upkeep, different levels of moisture, different levels of, of fertilizer, all of these things. I'm not a farmer and you can probably tell by the way I'm describing this, right? But don't, it doesn't make sense. In the same way, don't unequally yoke yourself with believers. He's telling the people of Israel, don't yoke yourself to the Canaanites. And he's telling us, Paul, by extension, is saying, be careful who you hitch your wagon to, right? That's Elkmont speak for you. Be careful who you hitch your wagon to because partnership with the world is enmity, is dangerous. It is against our partnership with the Lord. And so he asks a series of questions. What partnership would a righteous man have with a dishonest one? If I was a righteous man that wanted to do right by my customers and wanted to have an upright business, why would I, why would I get in partnership with a crook? That's crazy, right? And so there, there's the business aspect of that. What fellowship does light have with darkness? We're in that time of year that everybody loves where it gets dark about 3.30, Right? Well, how do we know that it's getting dark? Because the light is leaving. And as the light leaves, the darkness comes. And as the darkness leaves, the light is coming, right? When, in, when the day breaks, light is leaving. And so he says, what fellowship? The word there is community. What koinonia, what fellowship does the light have with darkness? They don't hang out together. In fact, where one is, the other is not. In fact, the very arrival of light means the expulsion of darkness. So why would we be any different, right? And so uh, he says there, does Christ and Satan share the same mind? Are they of the same accord? Do they have the same mind and the same motive? Well, of course not. These are rhetorical questions. No, right? Jesus said the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly, right? These are fundamentally different things. What common ground exists between a believer and an unbeliever? 
One who is an enemy of God and one who has been made a friend of God. What common ground is there? Now, we may find common ground in physical things. I like sports, you like sports. I like food, you like food. I'm sensing it. Y'all sensing a trend here with the fellowship? Uh, we may find common ground physically, but spiritually, we, we are as different as night is today. Light is to dark. Righteousness is to unrighteousness. Right? We are fundamentally different. Can a temple of God have idols in it? Well, it didn't work out for Israel. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Very seldom in Israel's history did they ever completely, explicitly leave out Yahweh God. They just incorporated other gods along with the party. Hey, this is the room to worship Yahweh in. Here's the room to worship Baal in. Here's the room to worship Asherah in. Here's the room to worship whatever else you want to worship. Whatever your wife is telling you to worship, right? Like that, that was how they set it up. It didn't work for them. God brought judgment on these people because the temple of God cannot have idols in it. In the same way. You are now the temple, Paul tells the church of Corinth. And a church that is a, a, a temple that is sold out to Yahweh God does not incorporate pagan practices of the world. You are his temple. You are set apart. You are different. And so I brought something to illustrate that. Scripture tells us that our sin is red as scarlet. That's not scarlet, but it's close. Our sin is red as scarlet. This is the reality of the world that we live in and the people that live in it. They're, they stand guilty before a holy God. They were once as we were, enemies of God. They're not neutral on God, by the way. Even though some people like to play that middle ground, that doesn't exist. They are enemies of God. If you are serving yourself, if you are serving your own selfish purpose, you are serving the enemy. You are enemies of God. This is the reality of the world. And God has called us as the church, right, to be set apart. He calls us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I am who he says I am. I'm not holy or priestly, but God has made me that way through his son. And so we are set apart. The problem is we don't exist in different containers like this. And so what Christ is actually calling us to do is John 17 tells us, right? They are not of the world, even as we are not of this world, but you have called them into the world, right? They are called, we are called as the church to be a part of the world. And more than that, we're not just occupying the same space, but God has called us to interact. He's called us to mix. I'm not telling you to never have lost people on your radar, right? And be in this ivory castle of religiosity. We're called to mingle. We're called to engage. Where did Jesus go? He went to the tax collectors and the sinners. Why does Jesus hang out with these sinners? Is what the religious people said. They mix. But we are not of this world. 
We are in the context of this world, but we are not. And it is identified by the separateness that God creates in our heart toward something that we have not even experienced the full weight of yet. But the expectation and the hope of Christ calls us to something deeper and calls us to be the called out ones. We are different from the world. Now we're occupying the same space and we're interacting, but it is obvious there is a difference in the church than there is in the world. And we are begging, we are imploring the the world to be reconciled to God. We are a called out fellowship, but we are also a selective fellowship. We're a set apart fellowship, but we're a selective fellowship. Look at Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15. As I said, I mean, there was carnality all in the church. And Paul is saying, listen, you don't just have a sin problem. The sin problem is there because you have a fellowship problem. You're interacting with people. You're letting people into the inner circles of your friendships that have significant sway in your life and they are leading you astray. They are lying to you. They are deceiving you. Specifically in this context that we'll read in 1 Corinthians 15, people had convinced many in the church that the resurrection was not real. This was a heresy that they were teaching those in the church. And I don't know if they were the big tithers or they were the most magnanimous personalities, but they were allowed to coexist with the church. And Paul says... This is a problem because we are called to have a selective fellowship. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 34. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. We could stop right there. There are some in our life that are in our life Because in our flesh, we want them to be there. We want them there for something that we get, some residual gain that we, advantage that we gain in this world because they are our friends. And that may be fun, that may be whatever, but 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. It came full-fledged to where Paul had to address it again with the church of Corinth in his second letter. Don't forget this, right? There's no fellowship that light has with darkness. Don't be unequally yoked. Stop this. It's polluting the called outness of the church. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God. Some have no knowledge of God. Let me tell you who doesn't belong on your innermost circle of friends, someone that has no knowledge of God. Because if they're there, if they are speaking into your life at the level that we're about to talk about those innermost friends speaking into, they are going to sabotage what God wants to do in your life and how he wants to move. This is a selective fellowship. It's clear 
the Corinth, the church at Corinth didn't just have a sin problem, they had a fellowship problem. People were led into the inner circle, inner, inner friend circles of the church and it led them astray. They were not just given to physical drink, they understood what that was like to be in a drunken stupor, but they had become spiritually desensitized and drunk. That I can hang out with people that believe this way and I can hear what they have to say and take their advice and learn from their wisdom and not be somehow affected. Proverbs thirteen twenty tells us that whoever walks with the wise becomes wives. Wise, not wives. Although my wife would argue that point. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I'm sorry. It's our anniversary, by the way. Yeah, that's probably not something to say on our anniversary. Um, <clears throat> whoops, I'll pay for that one. Um, on this example, we need to take, on this issue, we need to take the example of Jesus. Did Jesus interact with the loss? Not a rhetorical question. Yeah. In fact, a lot of really religious people hated him for it. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? He was interacting with the wrong type of people. But he always had an inner circle. An inner circle that, yes, he was leading, obviously, as Jesus. Not all things translate, right? But that were believers, that were following him, that would tell him, where else would we go? You have the words of life, Jesus. And so here's what I'll tell you about this. It's okay for you to have association with those in the world. Depending on your level of what you're calling friendship, it's okay, and I would even say necessary, for you to have lost friends. For you to be friends with the wrong people. Jesus was. But are you hanging out with those friends for the same reason Jesus was? If you're gonna have lost friends, you better have, lost fr you better have the wrong friends for the right reasons. Every interaction he had with the lost was not an effort to join them and get them to be, you know, to, to hang out with him and to liven up and to make his movement more legit and more real. It was never for what he could gain from it. It was the ultimate service and mission for him to reach out to the lost because they needed what he had. But he also had a nucleus around him. So I would submit to you that if you're going to have the wrong friends, you better have the wrong friends for the right reasons. And the second thing that I would tell you, you have it completely out of order if you don't have the right friends closer. Those that will call you on your stupid. Those that will keep you walking in step and under the direction of the Lordship of Christ rather than swallowing this, 
malarkey, right? This, this, this garbage that they were allowing. Why? Because they didn't prioritize their friends. They didn't see them as people that could, they could grow and enrich each other. They saw them as people that they could gain something from, some advantage that they could extort. John 15, 13 through 15 is not in your notes, but you can write it down. John 15, 13 through 15. Greater love is no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. What does he tell them? You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is the context of friendship. This is it. You're my friends if you do what I command you. How about that as a criteria for your friendships? Not in the sense of you do what I tell you. Who is Jesus? He is God with skin on. Hey, you're not in my innermost circle until I'm convinced that you are doing what God commands. That you are living your life in obedience to the Lord. That's a criteria. And then... Because you are my friends, I am sharing with you everything the Lord gives me, I am sharing to you and vice versa. What the Lord gives me, I give to you because you're my friend. I am called to help disciple and to sharpen one another. We are doing this life together. This is the intentionality of friendship. This is far more than he's a funny guy and I like to talk to him at work. Who's in that circle? I would say there's probably some in this room. You may not even possess this circle because every relationship in your life is surface. No one can see the real you. But God does. And so it's not just a set-apart fellowship or a selective fellowship. The last thing is it is a sanctifying fellowship. Why does God call us to the circle of friends? The circle of like-minded believers who have been made new by the grace of God and that are growing together in the faith. Why does he do it? He does it so that we are more sanctified. We grow together more effectively and efficiently as a part of a body. Matthew chapter 18 what a crazy text to preach on community. This is the text that everybody runs to when someone does dumb stuff in the church. And then you got to come to them and be like, you did dumb stuff. And they're like, well, I don't care. Well, then you go get buddies and you go tell them, hey, they did dumb stuff. You need to come with me. And they say, hey, you've done dumb stuff. You've, you've, you've disobeyed God and his commands. Well, I don't care. Well, then you bring them before the church. And then if they still don't care, you cast them out. Right? This is church discipline that he's talking about here. But the idea, the reason is for sanctification. What is sanctification? These are big words that we throw out. It is the daily consistent growth into the image of Christ. Your friendships should be pushing you toward Jesus. And if they're not, they shouldn't be your friends. At least they shouldn't be the innermost circle. Not people that you don't have any connection with. 
But who are the people that are spurring you on toward Christ? If your brother sins against you, verse 15, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Deal with this alone. Don't immediately call the pastor, right? I, I have no, I have no, I literally have no example in my head of that. I just thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> I promise I really don't. Uh, so if you feel like you've done that, I'm not thinking of you. All right. Uh, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You've gained him back. What's the point of community? It's being in this close-knit circle together. Man, I care about your growth in Christ. You care about my growth in Christ. And if you're going, man, I ain't got that, I would invite you, men, at six o'clock tonight, come to Conrad Bonner's house in Ardmore, and we'll talk about that. We will encourage one another for that. Now, we may not be friends yet, but maybe we can gain that, right? We can gain ground in that area. Women, you can come next Sunday night at six o'clock to where y'all mean, Jeannie's? Oh man, they, they, they mix it up all the time. Um, to Jeannie Aldridge's house. And you can experience that level of community. We're in this together, all right? Y'all gotta listen faster. But if he doesn't listen, take two, one or two others along with you. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. <coughs> What's he saying? He's saying, Take one, you handle it with them because he's your Christian brother, he's your Christian sister. She's your Christian sister. If they don't listen, minimize the damage, but take a couple with you that can confirm what you're doing. You know what you have to do in order to take someone with you? You have to tell them what's going on and they have to confirm that what you're doing is right. That's important. Am I wrong or off base on this? No, we just go off half cocked like Yosemite Sam firing our guns away, right? Without checking with anybody that God has called us in fellowship with. So we ask them and then when they agree, we come to them. And then if that doesn't happen, maybe you've got a bunch of people that are yes men around you. You need to go to the church and say, hey, this is what's happening. There's something crazy going on here. Am I off base? And then you listen to correction in that way. But when there's unanimity, when, there's, when everybody's on the same page, then you go to the person, and if they don't listen then, treat them as if they were an unbeliever, right? Remove your fellowship from them. Well, Alan, that's harsh. Yeah, it is. But the goal is the same. The goal in Matthew 15, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother, is the same goal of Matthew 18, 17. Treat him, cast him out, because he doesn't belong in your inner circle, so that he can be restored. He'll realize what he's done, she'll realize what she's done, and she can be restored. And then when she comes knocking, you open back up. And he clarifies it there with a verse that I thought, honestly, as I was reading this, I thought this was out of context. I was like, what, what is, what, this is Jesus, by the way, letters in red. What is Jesus talking about? Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall, not be, shall be loosed in heaven. This is not name it, claim it. This is not, I'm going to pronounce opening or closing in the name of the Lord. 
Even collectively as a church, what he's saying is the, the verb tense that is used there is future, uh, future perfect tense. And what he's saying there is whatever you say is bound in heaven, meaning that person is locked out of the church, bound out of the church. It is a present reality in heaven, meaning that that person was not a believer to begin with. For someone to have loving fellowship come to them and say, be reconciled to God, and for them to go, no, I'm not going to do it. Forget it. That person is not surrendered to Jesus. Now, we have to be very careful and make sure that our church, that we are coming in the right spirit, that we are following God's example But if that person has an unrepentant heart, if he's harboring sin, that person hasn't surrendered to Jesus. And so us removing fellowship from them hopefully ignites something in their heart because it's not just about locking everybody out of the church. What does he say? What is bound in our on earth will be bound in heaven. What is loosed on earth by the church in agreement as the body of Christ will be loosed in heaven. Meaning that that person, when they respond, when they respond to the grace of God, the grace of the church, that we are his vehicle, a blessing to the world. When they respond to that grace, when they respond and surrender their life to Jesus, that they are saved. And then they're in fellowship. It's not about locking everybody out. This isn't an exclusive club. In fact, everything that we do should be to bring people in, even those that are apart, even those that are here physically, but that are not a part of the church. Don't make the mistake in your heart or your mind to believe that because you're here, you're okay with eternity. This is what Paul is helping the church do to sniff out people that don't have a relationship with Jesus. They're not willing to repent. They're not willing to come to me. They don't have a relationship with me. That's why they're responding like the world. And then when they respond differently, invite them back in. Welcome them in because they've surrendered their life to Jesus. Right, and man, that is such a hard thing to teach. I'll tell you, it's even a harder thing to live out. It's a harder thing to actually put into practice. But the whole point is to win your brother. The whole point is reconciliation. Why? Because you not being right, you not being right with Jesus impacts the body of Christ. It impacts me. It should bother me, especially if you're in my innermost circle. You're my circle of friends. If I see that there are things in your life that do not line up with what Jesus commands, you're my friend, I need to come to you. But no, what we do is we ignore it. And then later on we say, oh, he's cheating on his wife. I saw that coming. Oh, she left him. I saw that coming. Oh, this, this person has, you know, renounced the faith and has, has gone off into atheism. I saw that coming. If you saw that coming, shame on you for not going. This is who we are as community. If there's something going on, we go to them. We go to them in love. 
We go to them in the spirit of reconciliation, but we go to them because we're the body of Christ. We're in this together and you're my friend. I just believe the church has settled for a cheaper version of friendship. We're not looking at people going, how can, can this person push me closer to Jesus? We're going, do I like him? Do I like her? Do I want to spend time with her? Does she get on my nerves? This is what God has called us to. So if you would bow your head and close your eyes. God's presence is experienced individually in our lives. But there is a blessedness when two or more are gathered in his name, God's presence being in the midst of that. God's presence in me, God's presence in you, resulting in an overflow of the presence of God. That's what church is. That's why it should move us. It's why it should should spur us to action because it's a life transformative power of, of God's word. We need to mind our circles, y'all. Mind the people in your lives that you allow to speak into the deepest parts of your life. Do those, are those the type of people that will point you to Jesus? Or are those the type of people that will give you advice like, hey, follow your heart, do what you think is right? Let me tell you right there. If you got too many friends telling you to follow your own heart, my friend, you are compromising in the area of friendship. My Bible tells me I am deceptively wicked, which means whatever I think I need may be the absolute positively opposite thing that I actually do in fact need. A friend's gonna push you to Jesus. A friend's gonna share with you. That's the whole spirit of Matthew 18. They're not gonna share with you just what you wanna hear and make you feel better about yourself. They're gonna share with you what you need to hear. And let me tell you, as a pastor, as a leader of people, let me tell you, there are less and less people in my life that are willing to tell me what I need to hear, not just what I wanna hear. And so I am, I, I desperately need these people in my life. Yeah, I love everybody and I'm, I enjoy the time spent with everybody, but I am intentional with a few. Because what I see in them is what I see in myself. And I know that we can push one another toward Jesus that much quicker. So if you're here today and you don't have that fellowship, it may be even though you may have been coming to church a long time, it may be that you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't, it's not personal to you. There's never been a time where you have surrendered your life to him. You have given up your sin, repented from your sin, and you have asked him to be the Lord and the savior of your life, made the, made the decision to turn to him in everything. If you haven't done that, and there's not Christian fellowship available to you because it's only done through our union with Christ that draws us to the union with Christ and Christ with others. So maybe you need that. Maybe you need salvation. That's a, man, what a great first step. Maybe God's calling you to fellowship that way. Maybe God's calling you to fellowship because your life right now just does not reflect a life that is held accountable by people of God. 
Maybe you need to find fellowship and friendship. Maybe you need to join what God's doing here as a church that we can help you, hold you accountable in areas that you need. Whatever it is, I just pray that you would respond to this. Respond to your word, to God's word and adjust your life accordingly. Father, have your will and way in this place. We love you. We're so thankful for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. And despite our imperfections, God, you have called us to deeper relationship with you. Pray that we would utilize those relationships in our life, that we would point others to you in all that we do. But God, I pray right now that we would align ourselves with where it is that you would have us to be right now. Whatever that looks like, maybe that looks like a conversation with me about salvation or joining the church or one of our counselors. God, whatever decision needs to be made, I just pray that they would do that today in this time of response as you give us opportunity to respond to your grace and your love that has pursued us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing? Would you come?